0: This episode of The Thick Ass is brought to you by Pedestal Footwear with their brand new 2.0 line coming very soon. Check them out at PedestalFootwear.com where if you order two pairs, you get free shipping. Something a little bit different for you this week. I have Greg McEwen, author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. One of my favorite books of the last year. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this because the content is going to apply to anything that you do, and it will be super, super valuable. So I really hope you enjoy the interview with Greg. I certainly did. Here it is. Hello, welcome back to the FitCast. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I'm super pumped. This is going to be a great episode because I have a special guest this week. That is Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, my favorite book of the last year. Greg, it's so great to talk to you, man.
1: Uh, Thank you. That was such a kind introduction.
0: Well, I, I mean, this is, this is a book. This is one of my trifecta books where I got it on Audible and then I bought it on Kindle. Then I also bought the paperback so I could like highlight some stuff and then, you know, hand it off to a friend at some point who, you know, I think could use it. So, uh, seriously, incredible job. And people, even before we get into it, go into like Amazon, wherever you get books or Audible, go get this book. It, it really was a game changer for, for me. So that's why I want to share it with everyone on the show today.
1: What was the big game changer for you?
0: Um well this is for for me it's been a couple things. Um I before reading the book, I have been uh, living a little bit more of a, a minimalist lifestyle and got rid of got rid of a lot of stuff, got rid of a lot of distractions and as someone that works on multiple businesses, um trying to really focus on a couple things and not really get too stressed out by trying to multitask on too many things, saying, you know, like you bring it up in the in the book. And that's one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, not trying to say yes to everything, um, you know, trying to find some of that balance in there. But um, it was, I don't know, it, it is, again, just kind of like building off of that whole idea of uh, that minimalist lifestyle and kind of bringing it also into my, into what I do professionally. And uh, I guess with day to day life as well, just not with the stuff that's in my house.
1: Yeah, what, what you just said is that is that you had previously believed that by doing trying to do – maybe not at all, but trying to do like a lot of different things right. in your businesses was the way to success. Yeah. And essentialism offered an alternative path, permission to pursue or at least to consider uh, a different way of operating. That's what I think I heard you say.
0: Yeah, and, and well, this is this is the thing. It's the world that we live in today. Where I mean, we, and especially like this is kind of like the thing in in my kind of bubble of the fitness industry, where everyone is just like saying, you know, you gotta constantly be, you know, working on new things and and continue to, you know, just bust your butt so you can be successful in in whatever you want to do, and that includes like you get on the plane, you have Wi Fi, you answer email, you go on vacation you bring your iPad, you bring your laptop, you answer email, you do you work on other projects and stuff and kind of just knowing that it's okay to to shut that off and to allow yourself to not be working all the time it it, it just was really a, a game changer for me just psychologically it was a huge relief kind of
1: yeah and i think it's a kind of a good place for us to start the conversation because uh because if the non-essentialist approach is working for you, or for somebody mm-hmm. who's listening. They should keep doing it. Right. If if trying to do it all is getting you everything you want, uh, getting you all the meaningful things you want in your in your your life personally and professionally, keep doing it. If saying yes to everyone and everything without really thinking about it is producing the breakthrough success it promises, then 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 then, then you know it would be crazy to do something different. Mm-hmm. And so I I come at this – I mean, of course, in a a sense, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate in a sense to to my own uh, ideas and thinking. But we ought to begin with that because that is the norm for where I think most people do begin. They have been taught so continually and in a sense so effectively
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that if you do it all, you can have it all. Exactly that that they, they they believe this. I mean, it's so it's such a dominant idea that I think it's like a monopoly view. No, people aren't even <laughs> questioning that. It's just a question. The only question is, can you fit it all in? Can you do it all? Mm-hmm. Because if you can, you get it all. And and uh, you know, we ought to begin with that. We ought to get into that mindset and say and look at it. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase uh, fish discover water last." <laughs> yeah. But I think that's true when it comes to non-essentialism because we're just swimming in this idea. It, it's, it's promulgated in magazines. It's in, it's in the media. It's in social media. It's on Facebook where everybody right. seems to be living the perfect life uh, because they're just – in a sense, they're lying because they're, they're selecting so uh, extremely to present only the perfect view. It, we, we all have this idea. This is what will lead to success. You've got to do it all – all of the time, everything perfect now. This is the undisciplined pursuit of more. And, uh, and what I found when I've done the research on this is actually it does not produce what it promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, it produces people who are stretched too thin at work and at home. It produces people who are busy but not productive. Uh, people who... Uh, you know they're working so hard on, on, on a few things over here. They neglect, they neglect their health. Uh, they forget to protect the asset of themselves. And so they wear out you know their ability to contribute because they're not they're not exercising, They're not uh, doing those things that uh, that would continue their health forward. Uh, and this is where people find themselves. And so that's what you really get. You get exhausted and overwhelmed and <laughs> stretched too thin. That's what non-essentialism actually produces. It doesn't produce what it says it will on the packaging. Uh, it, it's a bill of goods. It's a con. And, uh, and, and so essentialism is like that scene in The Matrix where you have to, like, choose to take the pill and, like, see <laughs> things as they really are or, or – or, you know which bill do you want to take, and and, and essentialism is a different path altogether. It's a, it's a better path, uh, I think. It's a you know it's like none but the brave mm-hmm. uh, can pursue it, uh, but it's uh, but it, it comes with tremendous advantages as well.
0: Yeah, I mean there there were so many things that that I want to touch on uh, in the book, but I, I think, I mean you, you brought up you brought up a couple of things I just want to hit on uh, for a second, but um, I mean it, it seems like in the People that I follow, like you, you mentioned social media, like it is almost cool to take pictures of yourself and mention like, I'm so tired. I've been, I was working all night or like here, here I am at another coffee shop like working and I haven't stopped working all weekend. And of course, it's Sunday. So I'm going to work some more and just keep it going. It's like the sexy thing today.
1: I think it is what people see other people doing. Yeah. yeah. And so it is creating, I mean, I, I think we're in a busyness bubble. <laughs> yeah, and so just like the real estate bubble, where everybody started acting in in increasingly odd ways, mm-hmm. and it's not just the bankers. I mean, they, they they're the ones that got the blame, and maybe that is really reasonable that they got a lot of that blame, but. I saw with my own eyes people behaving in odd ways mm-hmm. uh, and certainly ways that now we would all look back and go, oh, that's just crazy. You bought what kind of house at what kind of price and, <laughs> and, and how many houses mm-hmm. um, and, and so on. Like people act in irrational ways. The, the economist term is irrational exuberance, mm-hmm. and uh, it, that, that's what always happens in a bubble. And what's underneath it, it what's happening is an overvalued asset. Has got into the human psyche, and everybody is now celebrating it, 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 that thing. Uh, it, real estate was the thing in the real estate bubble, of course. In the busyness bubble, it's busyness. So it's 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 a, it's an extra oddity because in the busyness bubble, the, busyness is the asset. <laughs> now, the question is, does busyness have any inherent? Value and mm-hmm. the answer is no. Right. And of course, being productive has value. Doing what's important has value, and that that may have elements of of you know that's obviously got activity and movement associated with it. But just busyness for its own sake is uh, it, it has no inherent value. So the the risk is when you you operate in this way. Of, oh, I'm just going to do more. I'm going to check my phone more. I'm going to be just all, on all the time and so on. Is that we're unaware of the real consequences and costs and so on that we uh that, that that come you know the bubbles are called that because they ultimately burst because the reality catches up mm-hmm. with this uh this uh false social phenomenon that can exist for just a temporary period and so what what, what i'm challenging you know everybody's listening to think about is is you know what is really essential to them how can they eliminate what's not essential to them? How can they create a system for their lives when doing what is most essential is as easy and frictionless as possible?
0: Yeah, and I, I think you, you brought up in a, in a couple different aspects. Like one uh, was like the the ninety percent rule. Um, you know, when it comes to. To hiring. And also just for like going back to the minimalism thing, you know, stuff that's like in your house, like clothes, like people can get overwhelmed by all the stuff that's in your house. And it's like, you know, is this something that I absolutely need? Is this a piece of clothing that I love to wear? Is it something that I'm going to wear once a year? Do I really need it for that one occasion? Or can I, you know, get rid of it? Like that is like that, that really helps me personally with my focus in life to just kind of have gotten rid of some of that stuff. And I, and I don't need to worry about it so much.
1: So, yeah, I, I mean that's exactly the idea is that we, we are living lives um, of uh, – that, that resemble an overpacked, overstuffed closet. Totally. And, and so when you know, walk into that an overstuffed closet, I mean sometimes we say to ourselves, oh, if I had a larger closet, that would solve the problem uh, until we get a larger closet and then we realize that was not really the issue, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that we were at both scenes of the crime. Uh, and, and so we say, okay, maybe it's a different approach that takes, and then you go into the closet and you take an item off the shelf and you say, as if to give it away. And, and you think, well, you know, I, maybe it will come back into fashion at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I could, maybe it'll fit me again at some point. Maybe, um, you know, I'll be using it somewhere and it was used for some, something. And of course the answer to all those questions is yes, it is all possible. And so you keep the item what I'm advocating in 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 essentialism is that we use far more selective criteria. Like, do I love it? Do I wear it often? Do I mm-hmm. look great in it? Uh, or, as Marie Kondo suggests, does it spark joy for me? Right. And if the answer is no to those questions, is it is is it is is it more as often as it is not? Uh, is so then you, you're able to pass on that to somebody else, give it away, uh, and and remove discover. Um, you know, the, the, the antidote to the fear of missing out, you know, the fear of missing out or FOMO is <laughs> a real phenomenon for people. Mm-hmm. But what we need to do is discover the joy of missing out or, or, or JOMO. Yeah. Um, we, we've got to see what it's like to have less, but better. It's better. <laughs> it, it's, you know, less, but better is a, is a better philosophy than more, but worse. And so that closet the closet of our lives is the same idea. We need to be selective. We need to be thoughtful. What are the right activities? What are those things mm-hmm. that will bring the greatest joy? What will bring the the kind of life we want to live? We have to curate through our life in order so we don't just live a life of quantity but of quality, uh, where where we are contributing at a highest level to the people who matter most to us. Uh, that is a very different way of living. Uh, but a much more satisfying level, way of living. There's much more joy in that journey. There's greater sense of control in that journey. Uh, and, um, and, and it can be done. So the problem is the undisciplined pursuit of more and the antidote is the disciplined pursuit of less but mm. better.
0: All right, we're just going to pause for a second because I got to tell you what those guys at Pedestal have been up to. They have been in the lab and they have developed the new 2.0 version of their already fantastic sock and they got some huge upgrades like smaller and more concentrated grips on the bottom so you can actually have an even better foot contact with the surface of the ground. They even have a finer thread count and they are more lightweight, more breathable, and that means more athletic and faster drying. So even if your feet do sweat in them, they're just going to dry really quickly. They've also made the packaging clear so you know what you're getting and it's not like a mystery even though you know what you're ordering when you order it but this makes it a little bit easier if you're going to give it as a gift or if you just want to even display them in your gym as well. They have a fantastic athletic and sporty logo which just gives it a more athletic look. You can even have your own brand kind of made on the sock. Contact those guys. You can get a bunch of them made up for your gym and they're huge. Like if you want to give them out to personal training clients and stuff like that, they will absolutely love them. I know that people that, our gym have been loving them as well. So I think yours will too. Go check them out, pedestalfootwear.com. Check out the new 2.0 version of the socks. I know they're shipping very soon, and you're just going to absolutely fall in love with these things. You're going to be like, why have I been wearing shoes when I could just be training in these awesome socks? And don't forget, winter is coming up. You want those feet to be nice and warm. But you still want to get those great benefits, and you don't want to train in like you know crappy socks, just like the white socks that you picked up at the store. Get something that is actually built for athletes. It's built for people that want to train hard, get the benefits of barefoot training, and also get that grippiness of a shoe that we've grown to know and love for the last, you know, so many hundred plus years. You know, shoes. They've been around for a while, guys. Go do some history homework. Thank you so much, and let's get back to the show. Another thing that really resonated with me was, uh, I think you brought up the conversation of, you know, you have like that group email. Like I was this person, and I'm I'm still struggling with this a little bit. Like you get that group email, and you almost want to be the first person to reply, and it's almost just trying to prove like yes I'm working right now like I, I you know guys I'm I'm the one that's like I'm working right now I'm working my butt off and I'm going to be the first one to reply to this where you're kind of saying all right you know maybe you should take a step back you know see how this conversation is starting to form and you can have a much better conversation and give much better input that way instead of having to jump in immediately just kind of relax calm down and and observe the situation a little bit better
1: well that's what it's all about it's to it's to start creating the space to explore what is essential Mm -hmm. and instead of just reacting uh, and then being pulled into the non-essential the non-essential good the non-essential the the trivial many and uh, i mean you mentioned email and i think it's a it's a you know it's a perfect example of of the challenge it's a literal example but also a metaphor for uh, for our lives too uh, the literal example I mean, people check their emails 150 times a day on average yeah uh, they check their phones at least that many times uh, the highest levels it's 900 times a day mm-hmm. uh, this is addiction right it's not sort of addiction it's not it's not a metaphor of addiction it's it is actually being addicted it, and so uh, i mean in, in order to be addicted we need sort of three conditions the first condition is that something pleasurable happens when we do a thing Mm -hmm. Uh, The second condition is that sometimes something terrible happens when we do that thing. And the third condition is that uh, the first two conditions are randomly assigned. So we don't know when it's going to be great and we don't know when it's going to be terrible. So there's a, there's a pleasure and pain aspect to it, a risk uh, that keeps us locked in. Mm -hmm. That's why people in Las Vegas are are addicted to the, uh, to the slot machines because something more great will happen. Something more bad will happen and they don't know when. So, the same is true with email. Email is the exact same description. Uh, something amazing can happen sometimes, every so often. Something terrible can happen every so often. We don't know when. So that's what pulls us in. What we have to do is we have to I, – I don't subscribe to the idea of, okay, we just don't do email or we check email once a week. Or, you know, Those are extreme things that just people are not going to do. But what we can do is start – Um, to to get each day a list of what is essential to us so that we can keep coming back to that. Mm -hmm. When when, when we go, um, you know, when you take a flight somewhere, the flight is off track 90% of the time. It keeps coming back on track. And that's why it gets to where it's supposed to get to. And the same with essentialism. We'll be off track lots of the time. But if we have a list each day Mm -hmm. of things that are essential, we have something to come back to. I mean, I'll confess today that yesterday I didn't have my list of six. I did. I'll talk about the list of six more in a moment about how to do it. I didn't do it. And so it's not that I didn't do anything important through the day, but it felt frenetic all day. I felt pulled into too many different directions. The, the, so the, the experience of my life was worse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My sense of time was that there was none of it because there's so many things that i could be doing there's no boundaries making your list of six is like creating boundaries for your day it helps to have a it creates a sense of greater time and space so it's an immediate addition to the quality of your life and here's how to do it so you go through you you know there's a there's a back process to how to do this but but uh, but you, each day, you make a list of the six things that you think are most important, personally and professionally. Three things personally, three things professionally, and you prioritize it across the six. And then you cross off the bottom five.
0: Mm.
1: And you just work on that first item. That item becomes your priority. You focus mm-hmm. on that. You put it on your calendar. You schedule time for that. And then you work on the other items as well. The, the, the idea is that uh, – I mean I always do this in, a, in, a, uh, in my journal. I write it on paper so that people can – so I – when I'm checking it, I'm not being distracted by all the things that happen when you check your phone. Uh, you, you're getting back into a quiet place. Uh, you know, A paper journal is technology. It's mm-hmm. just a particular kind of technology. It has certain advantages. And what it can't do is is important asset is what it can do. Um, and so I write it in my journal. I do it almost every day. Uh, make the list of six. Look at the actual schedule of the day and say, where do those things actually go in my calendar today? Can I, can I really put it in? What trade-offs do I have to make and admit to right now? Uh, things that I can't normally do, uh, that, that, that I don't normally admit to. And, and you design a day that really matters. If you can design a day that really matters, then you can repeat that. And if you repeat it enough times, then you can end up living a life that really matters, and that really matters. So this is a practical thing people can do.
0: God, you're like you're like reading my mind as I'm like going through my questions because that next thing I was going to talk to you about was, um, you know, finding your purpose Um, because, like, you know, finding what you really. Want to, to do for your mm-hmm. career, like having that purpose every single morning will be what, what drives you. So I'm sure, like, you've, you've spoken at so many places, like, like at Google, at LinkedIn, Ooh. and stuff. Like, I'm sure, you know, you've gotten that question sometimes. It's like, well, h- how do I go find out and figure out what my, my purpose is or what my passion truly is?
1: Yeah. So, you know, a lie that these questions aren't one more thing. This is the work of life. that's mm-hmm. the distinction. People can find the answers but not if you approach it as one more thing. I mean even sometimes <laughs> I will finish talking about essentialism and the importance of single priority and you know working at one thing at a time and the most important thing now and someone will say, oh that was such a great reminder that's one more thing I ought to do <laughs> And I'm always like, no I don't think you heard what I was trying to say I you know that's the work. You know, this is why it's a disciplined pursuit. It's a continual, endless thing. You'll be off track, but you keep coming back. You keep working on it. These are the right questions. Mm-hmm. Just keep asking them. Keep creating space for them. They can all be answered. They all will be answered. The answers will come, but you've got to create the space to ask the questions and to think about it and to ponder it and to, and to meditate on it and to, and to, you know, I mean, for me, at least to pray about it too. I mean, it's like a, you really have to pay a certain price. And the clarity will come, but I think it's like you know the the, the mindset shift is to see that this is the work. It's mm-hmm. the primary work uh, uh, of life. So yes, ask what's the what's my highest point of contribution personally and professionally. Ask what am I deeply passionate about. Ask what is the need I'm trying to s- serve in the world. Ask what does my conscience guide me to believe to lead me to uh, to to believe is is the most important work I could be doing. All of those questions, it's like the closet, right? It's asking selective questions. You've got to ask them long enough in life that the answers start to distill and get clearer and clearer until eventually they become very clear. And once they become clear, you move into phase two of being an essential. So phase one is figuring out what's essential. Phase two is making the trade-offs, eliminating what is not essential, making quite hard choices about that. And phase three is this creating a system that helps make that second, it you know, makes the the thing you've selected, uh, you know, happen. Not on an autopilot, that's too exaggerated, but, but happen whether you're really deliberately thinking about it or not. That seems to be the process I think people have to go through.
0: Greg, if I was a better interviewer, I probably would have started with this, but I was really excited to get going. But like what, you know… It- Again, this, this book's going to impact so many people. But but I'm really curious what what drove you to to write this book? What, where did you get the inspiration, or, or what you know what caused the caused it to start?
1: Um, in hindsight, one of the key moments was when I received an email from my uh, boss at the time uh, saying Friday would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. <laughs> wow! I mean, she was expecting. Otherwise, that would have been an even odder thing to write. Yeah, um, but. They, they they added because I want you to be at this client meeting. The Friday came, and Friday was in fact the, uh, the you know the day my wife Anna went into labour. Hmm. And there we are in the hospital. My daughter's born. We, uh, everybody's well because uh, this is clearly essential moment. Clearly mm-hmm. the essential day. But I felt pulled in different directions. I'm trying to do both. I'm saying, hey, that, that's always the answer. See, no trade-offs. You don't want to admit trade-offs. You just want to try and do both. Can I fit them both in? Mm-hmm. And to my shame, I went to the meeting as well. And so I'm at this meeting. After the meeting, uh, my boss said to me, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. I don't know if they did, but even if they did, Surely I'd made a fool's bargain. Surely I had been conned in believing that by doing both, I would end up Mm -hmm. with more. No, what I ended up was, was exhausted at the meeting, you know, withdrawal from my relationship with my wife, a, uh, you know, a, a sense of having broken my integrity to what mattered most. And this is where I learned a lesson. And I suppose this is the, the only silver lining to the story is is to learn from it. And the lesson was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. So that became something that gave me fire for the deed uh, to go out and study and understand why is it people act the way they do? Why do they make the trade offs they make? Why do they end up doing what they don't really intend to do? uh pulled in too many directions pulled you know in all this description that we've just had why and so the 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 book is really uh an answer to that why and then the practical suggestions for what we need to do to respond to to choose a different life
0: you mentioned uh you know, people will almost kind of gain, gain respect when you, when you do say no. Like, you know, coming in on Saturday, like, no, I can't. Like, that's my, that's my time with my family. Or same thing, you know, with Sunday. Like, that, that's the, the day that I devote to, to God. Um, do you have any advice for people on how to, you know, decide? Like, how, how do you make that choice? How do you, let, like, know what to say no to and not just say no to everything?
1: An important distinction is that I didn't write a book called Noism. <laughs> um, I wrote a book called essentialism yeah. and the difference really matters it, to say no to everything and everyone without thinking about it is, is, absurd, is as absurd as saying yes to everyone and everything without really thinking about it both of them are uh, uh, both of them are non-essential both of them are unsustainable approaches to life mm-hmm. so the key difference is what is essential you've got to pay the price to come back to that you've got to create the space now I've suggested it's daily way, but but part of the uh, the sequence or the cadence of essentialism is to hold a personal quarterly offsite. So every ninety days you really take a day to to get away from your normal distractions to get out where you know people aren't going to email you and so on mm-hmm. and think and design. Ultimately, design the next ninety days, but certainly design um, the, the answer uh, t- space to ask the big questions like, "What's my hundred-year vision?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, so th- that's a really important question because it goes beyond your own life. Right? What 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 do I want my life to be past me? What do I want? What do I? What will matter then? Um, you know, where where will my children grandchildren be by that point? What contributions can I make that will have made a positive impact 100 years from now? You start with those kinds of questions, and you break it back, break it down from there, and you say – eventually you get to, okay, well, what are my one-year goals? You can't have many um, because it's just, we can't do that many things if we want to do something big. So you, you sort of get to your sort of three yearly goals, and from that, you break it down and say, okay, well, what do I need to do over the next quarter? And that's the output of your quarterly personal quarterly offsite is that you have some clear goals that you have selected and trade-offs that you're willing to make to pursue those, to prioritize those over the next 90 days. And then you come back again the next 90 days and do the same. So that means if you do that, what it means is that when you come to your daily planning, you have something to draw from. And you can say, okay, well, what are the essential six things today? You don't just – do the things that are most reactive in your mind, the six things that you think just presently, okay, I, I just have to do those things. You're drawing more and more of those items from these longer-term aspirations mm. so that eventually your daily schedule really does represent your 100-year vision for your life, the things that are really going to have an impact for the longest time. That, that to me, is one of the most important things Uh, changes people can make to really live a life that is essential.
0: I I think that's a great place to, to, to leave it. I I really do recommend that people go, like, I haven't done this before with a book. Like I I bought like maybe like 15 copies of this book and I've been like giving them to, to friends and to, and to family members and and saying like, Hey, like this is, this, this book could really, you know, change the way that you go about doing things in life and change your life. Um, And, you know, for the audience out there, I, I really Recommend that you go and and pick it up, whether it be on Audible, your your local bookstore, Amazon, uh, wherever, because um, it's going to be the best. You know, fifteen twenty bucks that you're you're ever going to spend, and I mean it's actionable stuff. And Greg lays a lot of this, you know, great action kind of plan stuff uh, towards the end of the book as well. So just um, really really fantastic, and and one of my favorites uh, in in a long time. Maybe maybe one of my favorite. I guess you would put it in the category of self-development books, but um, really great life book. And, and Greg, thank you so much for, for writing it.
1: Uh, my pleasure to be
0: with you. Thanks so much. And uh, we will catch everyone next week. Don't forget to uh, check out Greg's book. We'll also have links for his website so we can get more of his information, including he will be speaking. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much.